Thanks, Adrian and Ruth. Morning, everyone. Hope you're well this morning. Oh, Ruth, that was interesting. Adrian and Brooke. That is interesting. There you go. I apologise, Brooke. Um, friends, last, uh, last actually, leave uh, Ruth open um, in front of you. That'd be good. Last week, we had a few questions about uh, the genealogy at the end of Ruth, which is also, and the genealogy in Matthew and how... Uh, Various, well, there are four foreign women who are mentioned in the genealogy in Matthew, and Ruth is one of those. So uh, a number of questions popped up. I thought I might just quickly answer or try to answer those questions in one, um, and then we'll have a look at Ruth to the two. I'll try to be quick. So Ruth, um, Tamar, Rahab, and Uriah's wife, who was, of course, of course, Bathsheba, they are mentioned, and they're not Jewish women, they're Gentile women. Why are they mentioned? Well, there are three interpretations. Um, one is that, well, yes, they're all Gentiles, and so the writer of Matthew, and they, they, they fall in God's story and, and, uh, and God's plan of salvation history. Matthew has mentioned them um, because, of course, that fulfills the promise and it reminds us of God fulfilling his promise to Abraham and how the, the, uh, the, the, through Israel the world would know God um, as part of that going on. Uh, <clears throat> the other, the other, arguably, three out of the four of those women are involved with sexual sin. So this is the other interpretation. Um, it'd be, it, it's pretty rough to say that Ruth is involved with sexual sin, but the Moabites had a reputation for that. So maybe um, that's why Ruth is mentioned in that sense. Uh, but first-century Jewish piety, like people like Matthew, were generally not talk about such things and wouldn't put sexual sin in a genealogy. So I'm not convinced of that one, to be honest. Um, but then again, just, uh, Genesis, no, sorry, Matthew 1 tells us that Jesus came to save us from our sins. So maybe that's what Matthew's got in mind by putting all these, these Gentile names in who had dodgy reputations. I'm not quite sure again. Um, the other thing to note too, just before I mention the, four, the third interpretation, is that uh, the genealogy isn't complete. A lot of names are missing. You've got to keep that in mind. So in other words, what's on, what, when we look at these genealogies, it's not, a, it's not a complete history. What it is, is it's pointing us to understand that God fulfills his promises and God uh, keeps, uh, is a God of purpose and fulfills those promises. So that, that's, in, that's important to understand too. And so the third option um, is that uh, all four reveal something of God's providence in, prepa- in preparation for the Messiah. And so all uh, four point to Mary's unexpected but providential conception of Jesus. So all four of those stories speak of God providing for and looking after um, this particular Gentile or this woman. And, of course, Mary's an exa- another example of that when it comes to um, her life and the conception of Jesus. So there's the three... All are Gentiles, fulfilment of the promise of Abraham. Uh, all three, three out of the four involved with sexual sin, uh, maybe. Uh, and then finally, all four reveal something of God's providence. So they point us to God's providence and God providing for us. There you go. If you want to ask another question on that, um, feel free to ask me at the end. That'll be fine. Okay, let's have a look at Ruth chapter 2. It's a great little story and it's heating up. Uh, why don't I pray for us? And if, if you're a visitor here with today, we've um, looked at Ruth chapter 1 last week and this week Ruth chapter 2. I'm gonna, my name's Graham, if you didn't know that. 
I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get going. Father, we, um, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you're God who speaks. And so, Lord, again, we ask that you help us be people that listen, uh, that understand your word and want to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, look, everyone loves... I'm just going to organise myself a bit better here. Everyone loves a good love story. Isn't that true? Everyone loves a good love story. And it's the Valentine's week this week. So did you celebrate that? I didn't. Um, nor did Michelle, actually, funny enough, um, which is, actually works really, really well um, for our marriage. Um, but some people do, and that's okay. If you want to contribute to that capitalist society, go for your life. Um, anyway, <laughs> no, it's great. Good. But everyone loves a good, good love story, and particularly at weddings, we all love that. Uh, God bringing two people together to love and to cherish as long as they both shall live. It's one of the privileges of my job doing weddings. I love that. Um, and people often ask too, maybe on the reception or wherever, how did you first meet? It's a common question. Tell me the story of how you first met. Michelle and I first met, well, she's actually in Sydney at the moment, but Michelle and I first met down, um, so we get my direction right, down that way, Watersley, Kaluna. That feels about right, doesn't it? Yeah, so we first met down there, how about that? Ruth chapter 2 is arguably Boaz and Ruth's first date. I said arguably, it's a bit of a dodgy, dodgy link, but arguably, and it's not exactly a very glamorous date, is it? So no high heels and your, or your best suit. Um, but here, out in the barley fields, God in his kindness brings Ruth and Boaz, two very different people, together. So can you imagine Boaz and Ruth sometime later at dinner parties, answering those questions? How did you first meet? Oh, what happened? Tell me about your first date. What was it like? What were you wearing? That's what the girls, of course, would ask. Um, I wonder what they would say and how that would be explained. I wonder what their answer would be, Ruth and Boaz. I wonder where God would fit in the picture of that story. Well, there seems little doubt, I guess using the words of Jesus, that what God has brought together, uh, God has brought these two together, let no man separate, as um, as Matthew 19 goes. Well, let's remind ourselves of where the story has left us. You'll remember that chapter 1 ends with some tension. So two widows... Naomi and Ruth have arrived in Bethlehem, the house of bread, at the time of the harvest with hope of food. Naomi, the Israelite, has returned to her country and her people, but she's still bitter. God has brought me back empty, she says at the end of chapter 1. And she blames God. And no doubt she asks God, where is God in all of this? Ruth, and Ruth uh, Naomi's daughter-in-law, a Moabite, is with her. She, unlike Orpah, who's Naomi's other daughter-in-law, has decided to stick with Naomi, but not only with Naomi, but, remember, with Naomi's people and Naomi's God. Remember back in, back in chapter 1, verse 16, Ruth said to Naomi, your people will be my people, your God, my God. They're profound words in the story of Ruth. These two have very little to their name. Uh, They're poor, they're with no means of supporting themselves. Life is really in the balance. They're hungry, and to make matters worse, one is a foreigner. So what will happen to them? How will they survive? And where is God in all this? 
Well, even for the first readers, and especially for us today, we're meant to expect something. Something's coming in the story. Something big is coming. So we're meant to expect something. In fact, as we read chapter 2, there are signs of hope. But they're just signs. And as we get to the end of the chapter, the basic issues remain unresolved. So, again, well, you'll need to come back next week because those issues get a bit resolved next week. 2 verse 1 is one of those signs. Chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. So Boaz is a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's husband, an Israelite. He is a man of standing. The ESV actually says that uh, he's a worthy man. So he's a good guy. He's a good man, the author is telling us. And we've got to ask here at this point, I wonder how he fits in the story. Now, Naomi and Ruth, presumably, would have known that there were special provisions in God's law for God's people to care for widows and foreigners. So, Deuteronomy 24, verses 19 to 22. When you are harvesting your grain or your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Now, clearly, Ruth qualifies for this special provision. So she asks Naomi's permission to go and gather the left-behind grain at a nearby field, what's called gleaning. Naomi is quick to send her on her way. Perhaps Naomi's depressed frame of mind at the time. You know, yeah, okay, Ruth, whatever, just go. Yep, so be it. Maybe that was going on here. She was pretty quick to send her. You see, a young woman, a young foreign woman gleaning like this could be very dangerous. Naomi could be seen even here as being a bit careless by sending Ruth away so quickly. Yeah, whatever, just go. But on the other hand... Ruth's willingness to go shows her strength of character and her determination to to continue to look after Naomi. And so, halfway through verse 2, Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. As it turned out. Interesting words, aren't they? Uh, some translation happened. Uh, so, uh, some translations say it. It just so happened. It just so happened. Coincidence, or something else going on? Whose field should she end up in? Naomi's relative, Boaz's field. Ruth may think it just so happened, but because we know a bit more about the story and how it goes, we can actually look back and we can pick up the clues, and know that God is at work. Here is God's timing. We're meant to recognise right from the get-go that this didn't just happen. I'd, I love that as it turned out in verse 3. I think it's great. And then immediately in the, ver- the next verse, all of a sudden, or as um, some translations have, behold. In other words, you know, come on, let's put two and two together here. Uh, God's doing something, isn't he? 
He is Boaz, the rich family member, and he's single. Uh, <laughs> he's a God-fearing Israelite. It gets better and better. We're meant to put two and two together. Here's a sign of hope if there ever was one. God's gracious sovereign hand at work. God the director, remember from last week? Working behind the scenes, putting the characters where he wants them in his goodness and kindness. Now, we've already been told that Boaz is a man of standing from verse 1. But next in verse 4, we're told that Boaz arrives from Bethlehem. Another reminder that he's an Israelite and that she is not. Now this could have been, this could not have been, I should say, an easy situation for Ruth. You see, gleaning like this was hard work, you know, back-breaking sort of stuff. Uh, it, it was usually just for the poor. It's, it's a bit like begging, really. That's what it was. And it could be dangerous work, especially for a foreigner. So how Boaz reacts to Ruth is going to make or break her fortunes. So there's some tension here, isn't there? You've got to feel that. How will Boaz react to this foreigner? Will he be kind? Will he even notice Ruth? <laughs> he might not even notice her. Well, he does. He recognises Ruth, or at least that Ruth is not one of his workers. Now, Boaz's question in verse 5, who does that woman belong to? Uh, it sort of grates our ears a bit, doesn't it? It's not very nice. It doesn't sound, doesn't sound very good. It's a little condescending. But in those days, it actually was a perfectly appropriate question to ask. He doesn't want to confront her directly. Well, that'll bring shame upon her and that'll embarrass her. Almost like, what are you doing here? He's a good guy. He's not going to do that. And he's not going to infringe on the rights of any other man either for on, on, in, in her life. So he asked one of, her, one of um, his overseers. So let's jump over to verse 6. The foreman replied, She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaths behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Hmm. But just when we think that romance is looking hopeful, here is this great man, this owner of a field, and this lovely maiden in the field, available and gleaning. <laughs> Vulnerable and poor. Uh, when Boaz seems to show some genuine interest in the woman, uh, we're brought, brought back down to earth again, aren't we? We're reminded again, of this one enormous obstacle, that she is a foreigner. She's a Moabite woman. She's not an Israelite. She belongs to the gods of Moab. Uh, there's no possibility for marriage here, Boaz. Turn around, nothing to see here, go back. And remember the curse of, of Deuteronomy 23 and the Moabites? Israelites will have nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. They were not to enter the assembly of the Lord, Deuteronomy 23 verse 3 says. If Boaz does find himself attracted to this gleaning Moabite maiden, well then, as they say in the classics, it'll be complicated. So how will Boaz respond? Let's read verses 8 and 9. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. 
And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So as we read, there's a definite sense here that Ruth and Boaz are being drawn together. Do you feel that? Ruth is in need of favour and kindness. She mentions that later on in verses 10 and 13. And Boaz prays for such kindness and favour as a reward for Ruth's loyalty to Naomi in a moment. So here's God bringing them together. So clearly as the story unfolds, God is working out his purposes. But Boaz is not just some passenger. Let's just take a tangent for a minute. Boaz is not some passenger in God working out his purposes at all. He's not letting go and letting God, which is a rubbish phrase. He responds to Ruth in godliness, compassion, generosity and action. That's how he responds. Now he knows that not all men are like him, so he orders his men not to touch Ruth, as he warns her not to go anywhere else too in verse 22, it's later on. Otherwise there is a real possibility of some sort of assault. It's not uncommon. And don't forget the age that we're in right now. This is the time of the, dud, of the, dud, of the judges. <laughs> Third time lucky. It's the time of the judges where everyone did as they saw fit. So Boaz is both provider and his protector. Well, he allows her to glean in his field, gives her food and water, draws her to the centre. Uh, so in other words, come in the middle where most of the... the um, uh, the grain can be collected and, and she'll be more successful so she can get more. And she sends her home to Naomi with plenty to share. You could sh- say that this is more than generosity, it's extravagance. So in terms of following the law then, well, Boaz's kindness could hardly be described as sticking to the letter of the law. What is he? He actually goes above and beyond, doesn't he, in his generosity. Of course, the law was never designed for legalism. That's not what the law was designed for. Boaz understands the spirit of the law and so his richness in kindness, undeserved kindness. What's another name for, another word for undeserved kindness? Tell me, what's another word for undeserved kindness? Grace, thank you, yeah. So he's extravagant, isn't he, in his generosity. Goes above and beyond the law. But let's notice one other thing before we actually come back to that. Did you notice that nothing is said of Ruth's appearance? Nothing is said of Ruth's appearance. You don't hear Boaz go, whoa, have a look at that! Hey, wouldn't you love to get your hand? You don't actually hear Boaz say that. I, I can't say it anyone, anyway, or maybe you can, but I can't. No, no, godly men don't speak of women that way. What, what has impressed Boaz is Ruth's character. She's a woman who has suffered and shown great resolve, loyalty and courage. In her kindness to Naomi, she has sacrificed her own prospects. This kindness is what Boaz responds to. Proverbs 31 hasn't been written yet. Uh, But if it had, Ruth would be ticking all the boxes for Boaz. Proverbs 31, we'll read a bit of it for you. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Skipping down to verse 25. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. 
She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. And verse 30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So if you're a single man, there's a few single men, <laughs> if you're a single man on the lookout for love, well, it's character that counts. So we follow the example of Boaz. Now that last verse in verse 30 reminds us of something else that Boaz saw in Ruth and one which will resolve the one big obstacle in his way. She was not an Israelite. For Boaz, Ruth has been removed from the category of foreign. For Ruth has not just left her native land and her father's house, she has also left her foreign gods. So Ruth 2 verse 12, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded the God of, uh, by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Psalm 36 picks up those, that line again. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You almost hear Boaz's brain go into overdrive as the cogs start clicking over, as he thinks through his options no doubt with some hopefulness. He knew that Moabites had been excluded because of the worship of foreign gods and their treatment of the Israelites uh, as they moved into the, um, walked through Moab into the Promised Land. He knew they'd been excluded. But what about a Moabite who rejects those gods and embraces the God of Israel? Oh, just clicking over. There's some possibilities here. What if she's poor and alien and a widow? I don't know, that ticks some new boxes too. That's, that's this Ruth, this maiden gleaning. Uh, the very people the law commands the Israelites to protect are the, the poor, the alien, the widow. And, and what does it mean to truly keep the law in those circumstances? Would Boaz be wrong to embrace a Moabite like this who has embraced the God of Israel? Would he be wrong to do that? That's what he's wrestling with. Well, the answer that seems to be forming in his mind and showing itself to be in his actions, is that he would not. And the rest of the book confirms that he's right. Well, as, uh, as Ruth returns to Naomi, these questions are pulled together in a larger theological framework, really, as the chapter comes to a close. Naomi is upbeat. Uh, that's a She's, she's matchmaking, let's be honest. That's what she's doing, Naomi. Naomi's upbeat by the news that Ruth has met Boaz. See, Naomi knows something about Boaz that Ruth doesn't know. Now, verse 20, he's not just a relative, he's one of our guardian redeemers. And she's doing little dances behind Ruth's back at the moment. It's, it's like the end of some Star Wars movie. Hope rises. <laughs> Had to put that in. If you were here last week. Um, see, that's true. Yeah, hope is right. It's probably a, better, a new hope. That's a better one, isn't it? Yeah, that'll work. It's a crystallising moment in the story. It's, there's a bit of a, a plot change. It, it changes gear, the plot, I should say. Possibilities come to the fore. Naomi's getting excited. This could really work out. Naomi is energised by hope and suddenly able to see not only her circumstances, but finally God in a new light. And, and in verses 19 and 20, let's just note the double blessing uh, in her words in these verses. So where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. 
Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. Ah, the Lord bless him. Naomi knows. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing kindness, his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. In the kindness of Boaz, Naomi sees the kindness of God and she was the object of it. She has put the puzzle pieces together. God was and still is working out his purposes, working behind the scenes, providing for them. And the grain that Ruth brings home is another confirmation of God's providence. There was heaps of it, heaps of it. I don't know, actually, I wonder how Ruth was able to carry it home. That's probably more of the question. Heaps of it, 22 litres, give or take. Um, perhaps that's a taste of things to come. Uh, Ruth, can, uh, Ruth and Naomi can only hope. Well, the chapter ends with Ruth continuing to glean in Boaz's field, uh, staying with Naomi, while they and we wait to see what's going to happen next. Well, as we close, let's draw out two little little lessons. Here's the first one. When we think about applying the word of God to the messiness of life, well, that requires great wisdom. Remember Jesus' words or his rebuke, really, of the Pharisees in Matthew 23 for failing to see the difference between the lesser and greater matters of the law. So the Pharisees were emphasising the lesser laws of tithing with spices but neglecting the greater law of justice, mercy and faithfulness. And so Jesus gets stuck into them. The result was this harsh legalism which missed the real heart of the law and of the commandments. The truth is the ban on Moabites was given to prevent Israel from ever being again harmed by Moab or seduced into worshipping their gods. That was why the ban was given. It was never intended to exclude someone like Ruth who had, who had turned her back on the Moabite gods to take refuge under the wings of the Lord. Any more than the ban on the Canaanites was intended to exclude Rahab the prostitute, you might remember that story, who was also in awe of the Israelite God and threw herself uh, in with them. And if we wanted proof, we'll look again at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Both Ruth and Rahab are included. The way the book of Ruth ends with blessing after blessing leaves us in no doubt that Boaz was a law keeper and not a law breaker. In Ruth's case, he was absolutely right in letting his concern for the poor, the alien and the widow take precedence over the ban on the Moabites. So let's pray that our willingness to follow God's laws as, as Christians don't miss the bigger picture of the heart of God's word, God's law. And that is of grace and compassion, justice and mercy. And so it's why Jesus tells those two disciples on the road to Emmaus that all the law and the prophets point to him. So that's how we read the Old Testament, for example. We read them through the lens of Jesus. And so they, 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 uh, they make sense through the lens of Jesus. That's probably another ten sermons. But anyway, let's look at this next, uh, next lesson the second lesson has to do with the, the kindness of God. God rewards those who seek after him. So Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists 
and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Both Ruth and Boaz are examples of this. And really Naomi too. Naomi in her depressed state, in that frame of mind she was in, she still sought after God, didn't she? But in a different way than Ruth and Boaz. And that should give us a bit of hope if we're feeling a bit like Naomi in this chapter. Maybe we're feeling a bit like Ruth and Boaz, not sure. And the goodness of God is seen just as with Ruth, that as we seek after God, well, we actually discover that God's really already been seeking after us. And the treasure that for them and for us to find is nothing other than a redeemer, someone who is able and willing to meet our deepest need. And that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ruth will uncover more riches, as we'll keep reading, but we have already discovered its greatest treasure, uh, the overwhelming kindness of God. How about I pray? And then if anyone's got a question or a comment, uh, we'll have that opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, we thank you that you have indeed sent a redeemer someone we can place all our hope in because Lord Jesus you are alive today Lord we thank you for uh, the example of Ruth and Boaz we pray that we would continue to seek after you and we thank you for the example of Naomi who didn't give up but even in a, in a difficult state of mind she was in she continued to sought after, uh, seek after you and discovered, of course, Lord God, that you were seeking after her. Lord, thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.